Today, uh, during second service, we get to kick off junior high ministry, and then later this week on Thursday night, uh, the 120s, uh, we've got a, a great little video inviting people to come to the, uh, to the 120 this week. I wanted you to have a chance to see it here this morning, so go ahead and watch. How's it going? My name is Caleb Herrera, and we're super excited to start 120. Aren't you? Come on! We are providing worship, food, fellowship, all the things we need to start back to 120 again. We are so thrilled to be getting back together, but just make sure, don't forget about this mask. Make sure to mark it on your calendars, October 22nd, Thursday, 6.30. Come and join us. All right, that's it, guys. Make sure to like and share this video. Comment down below. Tag your friends and family to join us for this event. And we hope to see you soon. Check. Okay. I promise you that's like 10 times more awkward than it might look. I promise you. Like, I am not a video person at all. And that took like... 20 tries. And I want to give a big shout out to uh, Nick. He's not here in the service, but uh, he helped make that video for us in about a week. So if we can give a big round of applause for Nick who made the video. He did awesome. So I won't repeat what the video already went through. Just watch the video. Do what it says, please. And uh, yeah, awesome. So just come and join us high school, college age, young adults. It will be on all our social media platforms. So if you know of anyone, please tag them, share it, all that good stuff. Awesome. And then also, KCC Youth, like Pastor Scott said, we are starting Donuts and Devo's next service, which I'm super excited for. Uh, we're making sure it's as safe as possible. We're wearing gloves. We have donuts, of course, because what's the whole point of Donuts and Devo's if we don't have donuts? So we have gloves. We have to make sure like, we take all the precautions. And then we're also starting Wednesday, October 21st at 6.30 p.m. in the same room. And uh, we're just super excited. So uh, please feel free to join us. And uh, also, volunteers, we need it, please, because it does not run by itself. So uh, other than that, super excited and uh, can't wait for you guys to come and join us. Let's all go. right. Let's give Caleb a big hand. We appreciate him. And... Uh, Nick putting that together for us. That's great. Uh, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible this morning. Oh, yeah, it's so great to get back to doing things together. Uh, I think it was, was it last Monday night we had our men's night? A great night of fellowship. Had about 40 guys, which is a great start. And uh, great testimony, Kelly, from uh, you uh, of God miraculously uh, healing his wife. Uh, it, was, it was just a fun time to, uh, to be together as brothers. So as we're starting to pick up again and kick off some of the things that have been part of our church family culture, a women's ministry, men's ministry, of course, in a few weeks we'll get started with children. We're going to do that during the second service because according to the guidelines, this service is somewhat full. And so we will offer it during the second service and uh, hopefully fill that service up, maybe have a little bit of overflow, along with a junior high as well. So children's ministry will start in a few weeks uh, during the second 
service. And I know many of you parents have been communicating with me. Can't wait till it starts up again so that you can be back in fellowship. It's a little challenging when uh, kids are running all over the sanctuary. I, I always tell you when I see you on Sunday morning, hey, don't worry about your kids. Just help them have fun. I'm going to have fun. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have a great time together. So anyway, when it gets started back up, we're really looking forward uh, to that. We're going to be in Matthew this morning, so I'm going to invite you to turn there. And uh, if you're visiting uh, this morning for the first time uh, here in our church, uh, we've been in a series for a few weeks now on building better relationships uh, together. So uh, this morning I'm going to talk about one of the most important skills uh, that I think you can learn, certainly has been one for me. It's, it's learning to resolve conflict and restore relationships. I think we all know where there are people, there are problems. It's just, that's the way it is. We live in a fallen world, and of course, communication is, is always a, a challenge. I really believe conflict is going to happen, but, but it's the doorway to deeper relationship. It's the doorway to a deeper intimacy in our relationships with one another. So sometimes, uh, we, have, we avoid conflict, we run from problems, uh, when I really believe if we will face them head on, I believe we have the opportunity uh, to, to grow a lot, especially in our uh, relationships that are a little bit more, more, more intimate. Now, here's the problem with conflict resolution. No one taught us this. I mean, we didn't have a, a class in grade school uh, we didn't have a class in high school or college. And, and not many of us learned this skill from our parents. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard these metaphors, but when it comes to conflicts, there are two types of people, skunks and turtles. Okay, when a, when a skunk is offended, everybody knows it. Okay, they kind of, you know, kind of fill their room with their aroma, so to speak, and it's kind of hard to hide, hide from from how they're feeling, okay? There are skunks and then there are turtles, and the problem with turtles is they crawl within their shell and they hide from conflict. And some of us were raised by parents that did both those things. One was very verbal and the other one was very quiet. And as a result, uh, as a younger person growing up, you never saw conflict get resolved. You heard the fight. But, but you didn't really see how it got worked out. And as a result, you didn't really learn uh, the, the process of, of conflict resolution. I, I believe resolving conflict is one of the keys uh, to happiness in life. And Jesus says it here in Matthew chapter 5. So let me begin reading uh, in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 12. We're going to focus simply on one verse, and it's verse 9. It says... Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Uh, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Uh, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. So so let's look again at verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they will be called the sons of God. I don't know how familiar you are with with that word blessed or blessed, uh, but it's a hard word to describe uh, in the English language uh, because it describes a happiness that that is beyond what this world has to offer. It it, it describes a deep inner sense of satisfaction and contentment and peace and joy that you can't get in this world. It, It doesn't describe circumstances. It describes a state of being. And when you're blessed, you know it. I mean, when you look around in the world and, and you know that you're different, you know that you're blessed, it, it's something that on a daily basis you're giving thanks for, you're celebrating within your soul because you know you don't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? You know you don't deserve it, but you're sure not going to want to give it away. Uh, Let me read verse 3 through uh, 9 again and uh, just kind of look at each one of these. Blessed, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That verse has nothing to do with money. It has every bit to do with a deep sense of satisfaction that comes from humility and dependence on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They realize they need God for everything in their life. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. It's talking about people who feel the grief of this life. We live in a fallen world, and grief is a part of what we experience because there's, there's such a sense that what we were created for has been lost. There's that desire for joy and peace and satisfaction and happiness, but uh, because of the fallenness of the world, there's just a, a mourning. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The word meek there is not weak. Uh, Meek is, is controlled strength. It's like a stallion under control. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are people who are under God's control and his leadership in their life, for they're going to inherit the earth. I'm sorry, but uh, Jeff Bezos is not going to inherit the earth. He might own Amazon, uh, but, but, but that's where it ends. The Bible says in Psalms 49, wealthy people are esteemed in this life. They build amazing homes and leave things that honor them in history. But in the end, they'll die like animals. And that's the end. But blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We have a destiny for all eternity that is so much more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Could someone say amen? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, not perfect, but pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart keeps short accounts 
Quickly going to God when you sin. Quickly going to others when you sin. You don't carry things within your heart. You want your heart to be clean before God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will truly act in the image of God. They'll be a reflection of who God is in this world. We'll live it. They'll reflect the character of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God, and the power of God. How many know reconciliation is a demonstration of God's power when relationships are, are, are restored? I, I think all of us want to learn to, to be peacemakers in, in our lives. So I just wanted to try to give some practical things this morning. Many of us have been through some, some horrendous difficulties when it comes to trying to be at peace. And, and so uh, I want you to know the things that I'm going to share, they aren't stereotypical. They're things that certainly work sometimes. Uh, but, but the truth is it takes two people to reconcile. I don't even know what I'm saying. And, and so as much effort as you've put into it, it may not have worked for you. So I'm not trying to make you feel like a failure this morning. What a, what a waste of a sermon if you walked out of here feeling like a failure. And that's certainly... Uh, not my, my, my goal here uh, this morning. But there are some things that I think are practical in most situations and circumstances. These will work. So let me start out with talking about what peacemaking is not, okay? Uh, peacemaking is not avoiding and appeasing, okay? Some people think if they just keep peace, maybe in their marriage, if they just don't rock the boat, uh, with their children. If they just sweep it under the rug, if they just overlook it, maybe they can have peace. <clears throat> that is not peacemaking. That is called cowardice. <laughs> and I think we all know it doesn't help. These conflicts don't get better. Oftentimes they get worse. And uh, avoiding and appeasing, uh, walking around on eggshells, afraid to say anything. That is not peacemaking. Uh, if you've read through the Gospels, one of the things you know about Jesus, he never avoided a legitimate conflict. Now, there were a lot of conflicts he avoided. There, there was the time where they led him to the edge of the cliff, remember, in his hometown, and they were going to throw him off the cliff. I've been at that cliff uh, just outside of Nazareth. And he just turned and he walked through the crowd and he left them. Because it wasn't the right opportunity to try to bring any kind of resolution uh, to, to conflict or their misunderstanding. So there are times when we wait, uh, but it uh, doesn't mean we should always avoid conflict. Jesus, Jesus never ran from a legitimate conflict. Remember when, when uh, they came to Jesus uh, and they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And of course, uh, Jesus knew what they were trying to do. Jesus, by the way, he was kind of a revolutionary. And they felt it. And I, 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 I need to say that carefully. He wasn't part of Antifa. Okay, he wasn't trying to overthrow the government. But he was a revolutionary in the sense of the way the Old Testament and the law was being applied to, to the Jewish people. They didn't get it. They were so focused 
on the law, they overthrew the idea of mercy or love or kindness. And they were literally strangling uh, the, the people of Israel with all their rules. So he was a revolutionary because he wanted the full knowledge of God's love to be manifest in the people's lives. He knew he, he was being tested when they came and said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because if he said anything, of course, uh, against uh, Caesar, he would ha they would have the opportunity to accuse him and, uh, and, and arrest him. So Jesus said, show me a coin. And they gave him a coin and he held it up and said, whose inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. In other words, honor those in authority over you. You have to do it because the Bible said it's God who sets them in place. Honor those who are in authority over you, but give to God what belongs to God, which is everything. And, of course, uh, that's one of the things that the Jewish people weren't really doing, although they followed the law, they wouldn't give God their heart. And I think we all know if you follow the law or you try to keep the rules without giving God your heart, even the keeping of the rules won't mean anything. See, Jesus wasn't afraid of conflict. And when you read through the gospel over and over again, he was the master of, of, of handling conflict. Uh, one of my favorites, and unfortunately I probably referred to it a little bit too much, is uh, the woman who was caught in adultery. Of course, they, they drag her uh, t to Jesus, uh, and uh, they're very angry. The people who brought the woman to Jesus, they weren't necessarily bad people, they were just deceived people. And they were trying to trap Jesus with the law. The law says if a p person commits adultery, they should be stoned to death. Can you imagine? But the Bible also talks about mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgments, one of the verses in the Old Testament. God desires mercy more than sacrifice, it says in the Old Testament. So th there were times where they held on to the law and threw out the rest of the law. And uh, Jesus wanted to bring understanding to the, the whole law. So this poor woman, they drag her up, and they're very angry, very violent in their tone and, and, and in their actions. They, they drag her up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we found this woman uh, in, the, in, in, in the act of adultery, the very act. Now, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And of course, if Jesus speaks against the law, he could be accused, right? By the Jewish people for not upholding the law of God. So Jesus, in wisdom, he knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to trap him. He just bent down and started writing in the dirt. And he waited for a while. And they asked him a few more times, what do you say? And finally, he gets up and he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And... Uh, of course, it says one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the stone and walked away. Now, what was Jesus doing riding in the dirt? Does anyone know? I mean, I've, I've read in commentaries, and some say, well, he was writing down all their names and all their sins because he said he was without sin, cast the first stone. Now, I don't know if he was doing that. I don't know if they could, could have seen it uh, from where they were standing. Some say uh, he was writing the Ten Commandments. 
you know, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't say what he was writing, so I'm not going to speculate on what he was writing. But one of the things I do know, Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And when people are angry, you can't communicate very well, even if you tell them the truth. You know what I'm saying? A soft answer turns away wrath. I personally, and you can throw this away if you'd like, I think he was diffusing the hostility and the violence in their actions and attitude. He's just taking a moment, allowing them to settle down because in the midst of the heat of the moment, you can't teach anybody anything. Have you ever been in Fred Meyer? And, and, and this poor mom with four kids, you know, she's trying to navigate the aisle buying groceries and she gets a little more tense the longer she's in the store. And finally, you know, the kids, they've been as patient as long as they can. They start ripping stuff off the shelf and she just goes ballistic, you know. And in the heat of the moat, they're yelling, they're angry, they're tired, and she's trying to scold them in that moment. And I just want to walk up and say, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, not very well. But the heat of the moment is not the time to teach. And the heat of the moment wasn't the time for Jesus to teach. So what did he do? Well, a soft answer turns away. He rated for the right moment. And then uh, in love, he said, he was without sin, cast the first stone when he felt like they could receive. See, he didn't want to just teach the law. He wanted to impart the full wisdom of the law. He was out with, without sin, cast the first stone. And, and as a result, I think they walked away different. I think they were cut to the core of what the deeper meaning of the law was all about. Now, did he uphold the law? Absolutely. Did he help them see the truth? Absolutely. What about the woman? She was trapped there. He cared about her too. He said, woman, where are your uh, accusers? And of course, she looked around and they had all left. And then he said, neither do I accuse you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, he didn't run from the conflict. He embraced the conflict. He waited for a moment. And then he spoke the truth in love. And every person watching that conflict was ministered to. The people around him watching what was happening had a chance to see the wisdom of God and the love of God and the truth of God. It's just such an amazing story. And yet, bottom line, soft answer turns away wrath. It's such a, a powerful truth. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that led you to repentance. When you understood his kindness, you were drawn to him because he was kind to you. And when you've done something wrong and someone is kind to you, they don't avoid the conflict, but they're kind. It's amazing how that changes your perspective and, and your heart in, in that situation. God takes our relationships very seriously, and I, I know we do too. Uh, they're, they're so important. Do you know that your, your relationships are equal to your worship of God? It says in Matthew 5, verse 23 through 24, if you're standing before the altar in the temple uh, giving an, an offering to God and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, 
uh, leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. I don't know if you should stay in church this morning or be headed somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but God makes... Uh, our relationships equal with our worship. We, we can't worship without the desire to maintain relationship and try to resolve conflict in our life. And I know it's hard. It, it, it takes two people. Uh, Romans 12 verse 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, so there's a responsibility we have and then of course a responsibility they have. We need to take our responsibility and let them take their own responsibility and don't feel responsible to change that person. That's, that's up to them, okay? So if we want to become a peacemaker, uh, if, if we want to learn a little bit more about reconciling relationships, uh, number one, one of the first things you got to learn is you're going to have to make the first move. Okay, <laughs> this is your least favorite part of this, by the way, right here. You're going to have to make the first move. Uh, you can't wait for someone else to take the initiative because they, they probably won't. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus took the initiative. Aren't you thankful? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he took the initiative. He laid aside his rights. Uh, he laid aside his pride. He emptied himself on our behalf, took our sin upon himself. Conflict seldom resolves itself accidentally. It, you know, some people will say time heals. In fact, there, there's a phrase, time heals all things. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. If you get cancer, oh, I'll just, I'm just going to wait this one out. Just going to see how it goes. How many think that's probably not a good strategy? I mean, occasionally it might work, but it's probably not a good strategy. If you get an infection, you better pay attention to it because uh, if, if, if you don't, it's amazing how an infection can, uh, can uh, advance, spread, um, literally kill. I mean, there are times when you have an infection, you need to have a, a boil lanced or something like that, and it's painful. You don't want to deal with it, but if you don't deal with it, it's going to get worse. And so the same is true with conflict. I, I've talked with people. Something happened 30 years ago, and when I start talking about it with them, as they relive it, it's as real as the day it happened. It's like within their soul. And they, they sometimes have buried it deep. They don't know it's there, but it's there. And when it comes out, it's as, it's as real 30 years later uh, as it was when, when it happened. And that's why it's so important to resolve a conflict. You've got to face it head on and understand that until you make a move, it's probably not going to get resolved. I, I've seen some... I've seen some men that are, you know, really macho guys, super uh, masculine. Uh, they die on a battlefield in a heartbeat. Uh, I've seen them shrink in terror 
when their wife says four small words. We need to talk. <laughs> but it's true. And sometimes the whole idea of confrontation, it's, it's, it's frightening. It's something we're afraid of. I want to encourage you, if you're going to learn to be a peacemaker, you're going to, learn to, have to, you're going to have to learn to take the initiative like Jesus did and, and make the first move. Number two, uh, check your motivation. Why are you doing it? Why do you want to resolve the conflict? Do you want to get closer? Because I really believe conflicts are the doorway to more intimacy in a relationship. I've, I've seen people give up on a relationship when there's a conflict. Walk out. When if they would have worked through that conflict, they would have developed an intimacy that would have lasted a lifetime. And, and I don't know why they do that. Um, I know working through conflict is, is very difficult, and I understand there are circumstances in every situation. Uh, you've got to check your motive. Why do you want to resolve it? Do you want to get closer? Do you want to become more intimate in your relationship with them? Do you want healing? I mean, genuine healing. Do you want God to be glorified? That's such an important question to ask. Do you want God to be glorified? Do you want them to be healed? Do you want them to know the love of God and the love you have for them? I just think it's really important to ask yourself, why? Why do you want to do this? Because your motivation is, is, is super important when you're dealing with uh, resolving conflict in your life. Pain is a great teacher. And so I want to encourage you, don't be afraid of pain. It's a great teacher. I want to encourage you, if there's a conflict, and as I'm talking, you're thinking, man, i got to talk to this person. Thanks, Pastor, I hate you now. Pain's a great teacher. In fact, we learn the most through pain in our life. Uh, if you've ever read the book Ecclesiastes, it says, we need to go to more funerals. <laughs> because we learn a lot through grief, don't we? Uh, it's like we would like life to be all birthday parties and cake and ice cream, but uh, the truth is we learn a lot th through pain. And so, so I want to encourage you, don't run from your pain. Uh, take the first move. Check your motivation. Number three, plan your presentation. Uh, that's a practical thing. I think that oftentimes we, we fail to do. We just respond in the heat of the moment. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 23, intelligent people think before they speak. <laughs> what they say then is more persuasive. Uh, plan your presentation. Think it through. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, what does he want to teach you before you say anything to them? When you plan your presentation, you need to plan what to say, you need to plan when to say it, and you need to plan how to say it, okay? Uh, don't wait till bedtime to bring something up. That's a conflict. That's a bad plan. <laughs> He's exhausted. She's exhausted. It's just the wrong time to bring it up. Proverbs 25, verse 12, a wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped onto your finger, just want to encourage you. What's the right time? And oftentimes, it's never the right time to bring up a conflict. And I appreciate my wife so much. She'll oftentimes uh, tell me 
well in advance. We need to talk. Uh, some things going on you're not aware of. Maybe it's here at church or maybe it's something with our kids or maybe it's something that just is us. We're not communicating about something that's really important to her. And she'll say, when can we talk? And, uh, you know, if I'm tired or stressed or whatever, I'll, I'll say, you know, tomorrow evening would be awesome. I'll scratch everything and, and, and we'll make time, whatever it is. But I so appreciate how she will uh, plan when to say. We also need to plan how to say it. Okay, truth is never a club. The goal is always to edify and build the other person up for Jesus' sake. And so it's not only what we're going to say, it's when we're going to say it and, and how we're going to say it. And I've got a little, a little formula here. Uh, truth plus tact plus timing uh, oftentimes will result in transformation. And I really think, uh, you know, I've been through a million conflicts. I, I could stand up here and just tell you conflict after conflict after conflict uh, that I've been through uh, in the last, you know, I don't know how many years, uh, well, I know how many years I'm old, but how many years I've been pastor in the church, just, uh, you know, how many know the church would be great if it wasn't for people? <laughs> uh, be perfect, yeah, it's just, there's conflicts part of life, and and so I empathize and sympathize, but I've seen some amazing transformations, mostly in me. But, but I've seen some amazing healing and some amazing transformations. Proverbs 24, verse 26 says, an honest answer is a true sign of friendship. I need people in my life who will tell me the truth, who sometimes will confront me uh, with the truth. Uh, in my life. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 23, it says, in the end, people appreciate frankness uh, more than flattery. Yeah, I love that verse because it's, it's so true. If we're gonna uh, learn to resolve conflicts, many times you gotta make the first move. You gotta check your motivation and then you gotta plan your presentation. Okay, number four, last one, and, and uh, we'll be finished. Always begin with what is my fault. Uh, you know, you might feel this conflict is 99.999999% their fault. Okay. In fact, you may feel totally innocent. And I can tell you, unfortunately, more than once, I have felt totally innocent. Several years ago, my wife and I uh, we're going through a pretty tough time in our marriage. Uh, it was when our kids were in high school. And uh, I, I love my kids, um, probably to a fault. They were pushing for more and more freedom. Uh, we were trying to figure out the right balance for restraint and boundaries. And uh, Cheryl and I had very different opinions of how it should be handled often. I'm Mr. Mercy, you know. And, and she was with them more. She, she saw more into their lives than I did, and she knew how devious they were at times. <laughs> and she was a little frustrated with my uh, leadership. I don't know how else to say it. I could give you more details, but you don't need to know. All I can say is uh, she, didn't, she was a little frustrated. And I picked up an offense. And uh, 
my heart got a little hard. Um, I closed her off. I mean, it's terrible to say, but it's true. I, I, part of it was to insulate myself from the pain, maybe, of some of the confrontations we were having. But part of it was the decision I had made that she is wrong and I am right. You know, I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. Last week we read in uh, Matthew 7, uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How many have ever done that? What, one of the phrases that stuck with me during some of our uh, discussions <laughs> during that season in our life was she would say, you're always right. You're always right. I, I, I remember, you know, coming to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is wrong with me that I'm always right? What is wrong with me that I've hardened my heart? What is wrong with me that I can't hear or I'm not listening well? And, uh, you know, I look back on it now and I'm so thankful for that conflict because it was a, it was a, an, an amazing turning point in our relationship. See, conflicts can become the doorway to intimacy and breakthrough. And I, I've never talked to anyone who's been married for a long time that can't remember the time when they were really uh, having a struggle. Um, it became the doorway to, to, to more intimacy in our relationship emotionally with one another, deeper trust, deeper friendship. Uh, it, it became such an important uh, part of our history together. But, but, but I think it started changes in my life that I'm enjoying the benefit of now. We all want to be blessed, don't we? Blessed. We all want to be blessed. We want to enjoy the life that God intended us to enjoy. It's a supernatural life. There's a happiness. There's a joy. There's a contentment. There's a peace when you're blessed that you can't buy, that circumstances can't give you. You just experience it. And, and, and every day you're just going, hey, man, I'm blessed. I, I don't know why. I'm just so blessed. That is not without conflict. <laughs> and it's not without learning how to resolve conflict in your life. It's, it's not without, like we did last week when we had the little um, magnifying glass, remember, and the mirror. It's not without taking a deep look at yourself in the mirror sometimes. And uh, asking the Lord to, uh, to, to change and, and to heal. So, well, with those things, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And um, <sighs> Heavenly Father, here this morning, uh, Lord, all of us can relate to conflict to some degree. And, Lord, we're all at different places in our life. Lord, some of us have conflicts in the, in the workplace and they're super challenging because you're not on the same level all the time. You're, you're a believer, they're not. Uh, you have values that they don't have and just the frustration sometimes is so difficult. Sometimes all we can do is, is pray. We, we're just waiting 
and we're praying. Lord, for others who know Jesus like we do, and when we have a conflict, Lord, we have a hope. We have a hope. It can be restored. We can come to Jesus together. We can receive healing from Jesus for our life and healing for our relationship. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I'm just going to ask you to offer yourself to the Lord here this morning. And I want to pray for you. Jesus, this morning, as we present ourselves to you, I pray for healing in our relationships, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd bring intimacy that we haven't had before. May conflict be a doorway to breakthrough and spiritual growth and blessedness, Lord, happiness, contentment, peace, and joy that we haven't had before. Lord, we thank you for that power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that in our lives. Lord, for some of the conflicts uh, in, in the world that we embrace because of uh, different values we have, uh, Lord, whether it's here in our community, whether it's in the workspace, sometimes it's extended family, Lord, sometimes we have conflict within our families that, that is, is very uh, difficult. Lord, we pray for spiritual breakthrough. Lord, we pray for breakthrough, Lord. During this season of continual conflict in our nation, Lord, we need supernatural breakthrough in so many areas. I feel like your church is the light of the world, Lord. We, we have the truth, Lord. There's a blessedness within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, we just lift you up in this nation, Lord. Move by your Spirit, Lord, through your church. Help us be your witnesses throughout this nation, throughout the world, wherever country we are, Lord. Move by your Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. We love you, Jesus pray these things in your wonderful name. It's power in the mind.